Welcome to this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. Today we're going to talk about one of the most popular of all operas, Giacomo Puccini's La Boheme. Houston Grand Opera staged La Boheme during its 2007-2008 season, with music director Patrick Summers conducting. He talked to me then about Puccini's masterpiece. Here are excerpts from that conversation. This production of La Boheme is the first Boheme that you have conducted for HDO. Yes, it is the first Boheme I've done for HDO. It's not by many times my first Boheme. I had a lot of performances of this opera uh, early in my career, several hundred actually, on various tours at the San Francisco Opera and the Seattle Opera and 30 performances one year in Australia of Baz Luhrmann's famous production that was done there. (laughs) So I, I had a lot of experience with the opera in my life, with performances of the opera. And I did in the late 90s decide very consciously that I needed a, about a 10-year break from uh, conducting performances of Boheme in order right. to just uh, do other things and be able to look at it anew when I did conduct it again. It's quite extraordinary what is in that score. And it's quite extraordinary what is ignored in that score. And I count myself among those conductors who's ignored some things. And I really made myself go back and be absolutely rigorous with it all. But uh, that that was really fascinating. So in what ways is this production different from what you did 10 years ago? How have you matured? How has your relationship to the piece changed? Well, I tried to personalize it much less. I didn't insert myself into it because one of the dangers of very sentimental music is to add sentiment to it. Your sentiment? Yes. Well, to add any sentiment Uh to it. And it's the one thing it doesn't need. And of course, to really, you know, you, you, you also don't want to just be a guardian of markings, you know, that's not making music either. But there's, there's an immense amount in that score that if you can achieve the right concentration and the, and the right sort of commitment from the cast, the work becomes very, very youthful. There's a great deal of irony and parody in Bohem that's often played for seriousness. Hmm. Um, Mimi for example? And, well, for example, uh, Mimi and Rodolfo role play with each other near the end of Act One in, in very, very highfalutin Italian opera language oh. about, you know, give me your hand, you know, gracious maiden. It's all, it's all very, very formal language. And they're making fun of opera. Right. They're making fun of society. One of the real qualities of the Bohemians was not that they were poor. Very few of them were poor. They were rich kids who decided to live in a way that had been made possible only by their wealthy families. Right. And they rejected all of it and lived as children, lived as you know, carefree, uh, poor people. And of course, that was all great fun until the reality of... Uh, a disease in this case of a, a very real uh, issue in the 19th century, which was tuberculosis. Until that, until that reality comes crashing into this sort of fairyland, it's all very fun and nothing's real. And they they make fun of society a lot, mm-hmm. and in a very learned way. There, there's a there, there's a great deal of 
verbal one-upmanship amongst the guys. And I, you know, I really explored all of that again. And I, I don't think 10 years ago I went so deeply into that, although I have to say Baz, Baz Luhrmann as a director did go very deeply into that. Coming back to Labo yeah. after 10 years, yeah. did you like it? Oh, my. I think it's an absolutely brilliant masterpiece. I really, I really do. I think it's a musical masterpiece because it's so, it is exactly what we demand of opera, that it, it's, a, it's a wedding of words and music to such an extent that they can't be separated. Mm-hmm. Well, you rarely hear Bohem on the concert platform because it's almost impossible to do without the words. They're <laughs> so married together. That's what we say opera should be. It's the musical and the theater. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's so, there's not a note of it that's out of place. And there's, it's not one note too long. You know, the whole of Bohem would fit into an act of most other operas. It's quite short. It's quite short, right. And, uh, and I, I just think it, he so captures those wonderful people, um, those wonderful youngsters that we all feel we know they're so real you know in 1896 yeah which is when la boheme debuted there was this uh, sort of rivalry between puccini and leon cavallo to get to get their bohemes out there yeah. and leon cavallo lost by a year it was uh, leon cavallo's original idea puccini stole the idea oh he did oh yeah and successfully oh, oh yes obviously I yeah. mean, who who has seen Leon Cavallo's La Boheme. Oh, I've seen it. Have you, have you conducted it? No, I've never conducted it. I have seen it. And Leon Cavallo's a very, very interesting composer in many ways. Uh, you know, unfortunately uh, destined to be remembered for one work. Right. Pagliacci. Wonderful, wonderful opera. But Leon Cavallo's Boheme is probably... It's maybe a little truer to the Murger novel than Puccini's. Saint um, la vie de Bohème. Yeah, maybe a little. They're both mm-hmm. quite. They're both quite true to their literary source, um, but you know, history has made its judgment on right. those two operas. Leon Cavallo's La Bohème is not a forgotten masterpiece. It is, <laughs> it is a. It's a piece enjo- that's really performed. It's an enjoyable evening, right? But it's not a memorable evening. I'm sorry to say, my. Uh, respects to Leon Cavallo. You know, Puccini, with all due respect, he did usurp the idea of writing La Boheme, loved the piece so much, loved the novel, loved Mimi, right? and and he got it to the stage a year before Leon Cavallo did. It may not have <laughs> had uh, what we would classify as full integrity from a professional standpoint, but he wrote a great great work there's no there's no denying that let's talk about the orchestra yeah what size orchestra does la boheme demand well la boheme has triple winds four horns three trombones small percussion contingent uh it's a very very lush string oriented score so it takes a, a large string section 12 or 14 first violins but something like that mm-hmm. um there's a small Onstage banda, famous banda. A banda is an onstage orchestra. Two piccolos, two trumpets, two drums who appear as a marching band in Act Two. Act Two. Mm-hmm. Um, famously in La Boheme. 
And uh, so it's a it's a large orchestra. It's far from Puccini's largest orchestra, which is which is Turandot. That's a very very big opera. And is Bohème is it an intricate score? Is it a difficult oh, it score? Is. It is. It is. The outer acts, the first and fourth acts, are very much like a scherzo of a symphony. They go very very rapidly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the words come very rapidly. The verbal play is quite rapid. It's interesting that the tradition has become to unpolarize the tempos that are written in Bohem, to s- kind of slow down the faster things and speed up the slower things so hmm. that it's, all, it's not all so different. <laughs> but when you really look at it, there's a huge amount of contrast and surprising tempo things in that Puccini wrote in Bohème and it was really fascinating to look at that again but the you know the the opening music which is all about the guys being cold and it's it's this shivering bone chilling cold type right. of music and very very angular terribly hard to play i mean even hmm. even very experienced orchestras that play Bohème year after year will tell you that the opening pages of Bohème still give them fits it's really tough it's it's yeah, it's a it's a hard, very virtuosic score for the orchestra. Where is the musical heart of La Bohème? What do you see as being the sort of the the, the, the central yeah. the central place? Good question. I would say, and it's odd, it's odd perhaps to say this because it's the, an act that Puccini almost cut. But um, Act Three hmm. of of La Boheme in the in the middle of Act Three, well near near, sort of near the mi- the middle of Act Three I suppose. Uh, there's a section in D flat major, uh, where R- Rodolfo is finally finally confessing to to, to Marcello, to Marcello mm-hmm. that Mimi is ill and he can't handle it, and it's this, you know cocky sort of frat boy which is what Rodolfo is not a bad guy but a kid mm-hmm. who has this moment where he finally 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 the penny drops and he has to be an adult and it is if done as Puccini wrote it which is terribly slow and terribly quiet it is just heartbreaking it is really I find it still I even find it a little difficult to talk about uh, but I still find it just shattering in performance it's that place where he almost admits to himself for the first time yeah how much he loves her oh yeah but I, it's I, but not I, it's not a question of, of, of money oh no no it's a question but he of can't emotion. handle the reality of her being sick right it's that's too real you know she was this she was this great hope and dream that didn't work and now you know reality is really crashing in and he's never had to deal with that that. he's lived this privileged carefree life and he kind of threw her away you know for for nothing for a whim for a jealousy Mm -hmm. for you know something that was really childish and now he's looking back on this and seeing the consequences of his actions and uh it's it's shattering. It should be should be shattering. But to me, that is that's cer- that's certainly t- the musical heart of poem. It it is ravishingly beautiful. 
Houston Grand Opera Music Director Patrick Summers talking to me about Giacomo Puccini's La Boheme. Well, that's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. Thank you for listening.